Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. My dear friend, Chris Carpenter, is here to preach today. He leads the Hope Community Church, which has kind of been a sister church of ours. We've um, uh, kind of walked kind of arm in arm with them over in a, on a bunch of levels for a number of years. And so Chris is a, a dear friend, and he is going to be here to share with us. So Chris, oh, there you are. Chris, give Chris a hand and make him feel really welcome. Well, good morning. Yes, that's better. Good. Good, good, good. Well, thank you um, for greeting me. Thank you to Aaron for introducing me. Uh, Over the years, Aaron and I have kind of had an age before beauty type of relationship. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm the age part of that, which I guess makes him the beauty part of that. Maybe Sharon would agree. I don't know about the rest of you all, but he's a pretty handsome guy. Um, But it's good to be here with you this morning. As Aaron said, our churches have actually kept up with one another over the years. I remember the days when you guys started out in like a makeshift warehouse here in Maryville. Maybe some of you have been a part of this church for that long. And then you moved way out into Friendsville, of all places, and you were out there for a while before you came into this place. It's been... I've just appreciated, it's been so much fun watching this church grow over the years. Um, Been praying for you guys for so long now. Uh, You guys have done amazing, amazing things in our Blount County community, and for that I praise God for you. I know a few of the families um, that are here, not just um, the McCarters, but the Warrens we've known for years. You got Kermit and Kristen Easterling here. Kermit and I go way back Kermit and I did ministry together. Oh my gosh, Kermit, we are old, dude. And we're just growing old together. Um, Daniel and Sarah Pierce, if you don't know Daniel and Sarah, we were a part of the greatest small group ever to have lived. And Daniel and Sarah led that small group, just an incredible family. Uh, We know Scott and Heather Woods and Layla and the rest of the family that come here. They're a wonderful family. Michael and Katie Grider. I probably ought to stop because I'm going to forget somebody that's here that I know, and then I'm going to feel really guilty about it um, afterwards. You just have a lot of awesome families here. And I want to say this, if you are newer to Vineyard, or maybe even if this morning is your first time here, you're at a great place. This is a wonderful church, and this is coming from a pastor of another church, so it's real, okay? This is a great church to be a part of. I hope you meet a lot of people here and just uh, feel the love of this place and feel the community in this place, and I hope you become a part of this church body. Now, let me also quickly say, as Aaron did, happy Father's Day to the dads out there. I'm a father to a wonderful 12-year-old girl, Hannah, who's down here. She's actually an active part of the middle school youth group here. Um, But dads, happy Father's Day. This is our day. This is our day to be remembered and to ask for that Sunday afternoon nap, right? Right? You may not get it, but you can ask for it. I mean, some of your kids might, probably most of them won't. But I hope you enjoy your Father's Day. 
Um, if you sat down and you got to know me, you would learn a few things uh, pretty quickly. I've been married to my wonderful wife, Jean, for over 20 years now. Uh, I haven't chased her away yet. She is an incredible wife, an incredible woman of God, uh, best wife you could possibly have, and I'll argue that fact until Jesus returns if you want to try to argue that with me. And as I said, I have my daughter Hannah who's turning into a beautiful young lady, uh, which means that I'm going to have to start telling the boys to stay away soon probably. Um, and the last thing that I'll mention is I'm an avid sports fan. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. Uh, the body at age 49 to almost 50 now is starting to break down a little bit, but I, I still love running. I've done some triathlons in the past, uh, including an iron Ironman distance race that I once did. I love golf. I used to play tennis back in my college days and soccer back in my college days. I'm originally from New York, so I love my New York sports team. Is there somebody from New York here? I heard clapping. Awesome. Awesome. I lived through the Bills, four straight Super Bowl losses, so I know what loss and hardship is all about. Um, I'm a Yankees fan. Thank you. That means, yes, Yankees fans can be Christians too, can't we? That's right. That's exactly right. And Syracuse gave me my one national championship back in 2003. I thank God each and every day for creating Carmelo Anthony. Um, so I love my sports. And in introducing the sermon this morning, I'm actually going to show you a scene from one of my favorite sports movies. But before I go there... Let me give you a little bit of an intro to what this sermon's going to be all about. I want to give you a fundamental truth this morning about the Word of God. And it's a fundamental truth that when you hear it, you're probably going to say to yourself, well, I already know that. Of course, that's like a duh statement for us Christians, right? But there's a difference between knowing this fundamental truth and living out this fundamental truth. So here we go. Many of you have probably seen the movie Rudy. Show of hands, who's seen Rudy out there? Wonderful. Some of you haven't, which is like, where have you been in life? That's a great disappointment. In case you haven't seen the movie Rudy before, some of you younger people, maybe not, came out 20 years ago or so, I'll go into a little bit of an explanation. It's a true story about a guy who in stature isn't very big. Imagine somebody like me with a, maybe a little bit more muscle. But he has the biggest heart in the world for a particular college team, and that's Notre Dame. I know that's not a good name around here, but that was his college. And his family, it was all about Notre Dame football. And so Rudy uh, dedicates his life into getting into college at Notre Dame and playing football for Notre Dame. The problem is he's not a very good student. And he's a pretty scrawny guy in comparison to those big, huge, uh, muscular college scholarship players. And so what he decides to do, he goes to a junior college, Holy Cross, and he gets a tutor, and he gets the grades to finally, after two years, get into Notre Dame, and he tries out for the football team. So he's at Notre Dame, he tries out for the football team, it's his junior year, I mean, he's this small little guy compared to all these other players, but his determination and his lack of care of being beaten on at each and every practice has an effect and gets him on the team as a walk-on. And the team learns to just absolutely love Rudy. They love his dedication, they love his hard work ethic. Now fast forward, 
It gets to the end of his senior year. He's never played in a game. He's never even suited up in a game. But the rest of the players go to the coach and say, you have to suit him. I will give up my jersey for you to suit Rudy. And so he gets to suit out, wear his jersey at the last game of the year. And so it gets to the end of the game, and the game gets out of hand. And all the players are going to the coach going, you got to put him in. You got to put him in. And all the fans are chanting what? Rudy, Rudy. And and the place is going wild. And so the coach finally gives in. And he finally gets into the game. And so here is that final scene from Rudy. It brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? I mean, if you've ever played a sport in your life for a team, that's the ultimate, right? You want to be carried off the field in victory. I paused here for a reason, and there's going to be a screen that comes up here. You see the guy taking a picture? He's kind of got like the beady hat, and he looks like he's got like red hair, and he's a photographer, and he's taking a picture of Rudy being carried off the field. So that guy was not the main character of the movie. In fact, you probably didn't even know that guy even existed in this movie until I just pointed him out to you just now. And more than likely, he didn't even, he wasn't even a secondary level character in this movie. He probably didn't even make the credits at the end of this movie. But I bet every time that guy sees the movie Rudy, and maybe he's sitting around with his friends or his family. He goes, wait on it. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait, one second, one second. There I am, right there. That's me. That's me. Now, I want you to pretend for a moment that this guy and, and Rudy, and, and the movie Rudy comes out, like I said, it's about 20 years ago when, he, when it comes out. And let's pretend for a moment that he tells all of his family and he tells all of his friends, you won't believe this, but I am starring in this new movie that's coming out. It's called Rudy. And I played the lead character. And so maybe he even, you know, rents out a movie theater for all his family and all his friends, something like this size, and all his family and all his friends come to watch this movie for the first time, and they watch this movie. What do you think they're going to say at the end? They're going to be like, dude, sorry to say this to you, but that movie's not about you. You aren't the lead. You aren't the main character. And he's like, no, 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 no. You saw me, right? That was me right there. I'm the guy. I'm the star of this movie. And they're like, no, the movie's about this guy named Rudy. That's Sean Astin playing Rudy. That's not you. It's not unknown photographer, dude. All right? Rudy's the one being carried off the field. That's not you. You're not the star. So I show us this clip and I give us this hypothetical for a reason. I think there are Christians in this world today that are just like I described that guy. Now I'm pretty sure that that guy is not going around in real life saying I'm the lead in the movie Rudy, okay? But there are some Christians perhaps that are walking around the world with the full out belief that we're the star of this book. That these scriptures, that this word is about us. That the Bible is all about us, and therefore all of life is about us. 
that everything revolves around us or ought to revolve around us. And we don't understand, perhaps, our place in this book. And so there's a bit of reality that I want to remind us all of this morning. And this is where the duh statement comes in. Because when you hear it, you're going to be like, well, of course, I already know that. But like I said, there's a difference between knowing it and living it. This book, the Bible from cover to cover, is not about us. It's about God. Everything in this book is about God. Everything in this book relates to God. From the very first verse, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What part did we play in that? No part. No part. He created the heavens and the earth, the stars and the skies, the animals, mankind, all of it. There was no input from us. He gives Adam and Eve a little small role in allowing them to name the animals, but it wasn't much of a starring role at all. As my daughter Hannah was growing up, one of our favorite books to read to her at night was the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, one of the best books that parents you could ever get for your young children or your older children. This is the introduction of that book. It says, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of this story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. And that is so very true. There are Christians today that, the believe, that believe that the Old Testament is kind of null and void right now, that we live in this New Testament age. But the truth is the New Testament is just as important for us to know and read than the, Old, than the New Testament is. Because, why? All of what we find in the Old Testament points to Jesus, to the coming of Jesus, and why he came to save us from our sin. All of it, all those stories that we've read over time point to Jesus as Lord and Savior. After the creation story, mankind gets bigger and bigger, right? But then they rebel against God. And so what does God do? He sends a huge flood to wipe out mankind. Takes them all out except this one family and a bunch of animals that get to be on this boat. And that's a pretty powerful flood. That wasn't us doing that. That was God. Wipes them all out except that one guy and his family, Noah. But the flood wasn't a story about Noah. It was a story about God. And so God has Noah and his, and his family repopulate the earth Years later, you get to Abram. He's 100 years old. His wife Sarah is 90 years old. He sets them apart to be the beginning family of the nation of Israel, God's people, 190 years old. And God comes to them and says, I'm going to give you a baby. And they laugh about it, but it happens. What part did we play in that? None. That was God's doing. The nation of Israel gets bigger and bigger. Later on comes this guy, Joseph, right? Brothers sell him into slavery because he's a little punk, right? Ends up in Egypt, becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man, which helps him to save his family in the famine. That story, though, is not about Joseph. That is about God and his redemptive plan. For 400 years, Egypt and Pharaoh enslave God's people. They treat them terribly. In fact, Pharaoh has all the sons of the Israelites killed. 
but the mother saves her son. This one mother saves her son, puts him in a basket in the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and his name is Moses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Moses is raised right there in Pharaoh's palace. We didn't save Moses. God did. Moses is then called by God, tells him, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let the Israelites go. Pharaoh says, you got to be kidding me. God's not kidding. Starts sending down plagues that get worse and worse and worse. Water to blood, frogs, locusts, all the way to the firstborn being killed to the point that Pharaoh says, okay, go. And so the Israelites go. That's the Exodus part. But that story isn't about Moses. It isn't about the Israelites. It's not about Pharaoh. And it's definitely not about us. It's about God blessing and saving his people. Pharaoh even changes his mind, has his army go after them, kind of has them cornered in, but God saves them by parting the waters, brings down his power through Moses' staff. Waters part, Israelites walk across, Egyptian army follows, waters come back in, Egyptian army kills them all. That story is about God saving his people. We can keep going. On and on, God leads them, into the, leads them towards the promised land and provides for them manna, water all along the way. The people, they're just complaining. They're rebelling against God, so God starts sending prophets down the line to straighten them out. But those stories are not about the prophets. They're about God and returning to Him. It's God's plan all along to the point that God himself comes to earth in the form of man, Jesus Christ, and he doesn't come to show off his power. He comes to show us his love and his grace, the ultimate act of love. He dies for our sins on the cross. He did that. We didn't do that. With his death and his resurrection comes salvation, comes grace, comes love and forgiveness, comes power and strength comes a life that we can live, knowing that we have victory over death like Jesus had victory over death. But that has nothing to do with anything we've done. It was all Him. Church starts rising up. What's the message of the church? It's definitely not about us. It's about the salvation and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that's found through Jesus Christ, that salvation can only come one way through Him. Belief and faith in Him. All the way to the book of Revelation where you get this beautiful picture of the heavenly throne. All the saints and all the angels and the elders are surrounding the throne. They're bowing down and worshiping. And we're not sitting on that throne. God's on that throne. And we're worshiping Him. We're the worshipers. And He's the one being worshiped. And so I'm reading all this scripture and I'm remembering all this and I think it's a lot of logical question to ask of each of us. When did we become the main character of this story? Because if that happened somewhere, I missed that part of scripture. This book, our Bibles have one purpose and one purpose only, to bring glory to the star of the story, to the main character of the story, to bring glory to God. To show us who and what life is all about. We're just a photographer taking a picture of the main character that's being carried off the field in victory. Now we have a message because God gave us a message. And we have a purpose in our lives because God gave us a purpose. 
But in no way, not even close, is that message or that purpose to make much of ourselves. It's to make much of Him. It's not about us, it's about God. And until we get that, until we understand that fundamental truth and start living by that fundamental truth of the Bible, life is going to be pretty frustrating for us. Because if we don't get that, we're going to be frustrated with others and we're going to be frustrated with God. We're going to say things like, why don't things ever go my way? The way I want them to. Why don't I get what I want? I mean, don't people understand my life and that this is about me? Hey God, why aren't you doing what I ask you to do? I've prayed to you and prayed to you wanting something to happen this way and you made it happen another way. Why would you do that, God? Why would you do that to me? There are some of us as Christians that even walk around thinking that God's kind of like our personal assistant, right? You know, actors and actresses, they have these personal assistants that if they want something, they want something to eat, want something to drink, they need an errand run, they say, hey, go do this for me. And we tend to do that with God sometimes, expecting God to do whatever it is we want, because why? We think we're in charge. We think we know what's best for us. But the reality is this, he's the one writing the scripts of our lives. And it's his plan. And he's known us, and he's known the plan for our lives before he even formed us, before we were even born. The prophet Jeremiah understood his call and understood his being and his purpose. In Jeremiah 1.5, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And the same holds true for all of us, that he knew us before he even formed us. And he consecrated us before we were born. And we were created to live for God. Now this is what I find absolutely, incredibly amazing. Because like I said, this word all points to God, to Jesus, and speaks of our Lord Jesus. All things were created through Jesus and to Him and for Him. So this story is not about us. It's about Him. The famous saying, history is what? His story. But here's the most incredible thing about it. He places us in His story. He does that. He places us in His story. And He places us in His story for a particular reason. And we need to know what this reason is. The reason is this, and that all we would do in our lives, no matter how small, no matter how large, whatever we would do, we would do to glorify God. Everything that we do in our lives should point to Jesus to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 2.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That's the reason for our existence. Mine, yours, everyone's. Point everyone to Jesus. Glorify Jesus in all things. It's the purpose of our lives. It's the reason for everything that we do. That's why God put us into his story. Whether that's how we live our home life, whether that's how we work our jobs, 
Students, your time in school, the friendships you create over time, your leisure time, the things you enjoy doing on quote-unquote your time, all things are to be lived for the glory of God. You know, God has a way of pointing things out when we're off purpose, right? He tends to give me those slap on the back of the head things. He's really good at it, right? He doesn't hit me too hard, but whenever I feel that, I'm just like, his message is, you know, stop thinking you're in control. I'm the one that's in control of your life. I'm the one that has the plan for you. I'm the main character. And I think it's hilarious that we would think that we actually are the main character of his story. It's even more hilarious that we think we're the main character in our lives. And because some people might hear this and say, well, I get it, okay, in the overall, yes, God is the main character, but this is my life. And I set the course for my life. It's my agenda. I call the shots. I have free will. It's me. It's not you. It's not us. And as soon as we can figure that out, as soon as we can kind of deflate these big heads that we have, the better off we are. So whether we eat whether, or we drink, whatever we do, do all the glory of God. So eat, drink, smile, run, write a book, run a business, change a tire, I don't know. Smallest of things to the biggest of things, do them all to the glory of God. And as you're doing them all to the glory of God, remember what an amazing God He is. Right? Yes? He is amazing. I just want you to know that. All right? That's another dust statement you can take home with you today. Countless things that God has done for our lives. Countless. There are countless things that God has done for us that we haven't even seen Him do. He's surrounding us with His amazing things, and some of them we don't even see. We don't even feel. But it's all around us. And He does them to reveal Himself and to bring glory, not to us, but to Himself. Now, that might sound a little bit selfish, but guess what? He's allowed. Because there's one and only one that is deserving of all worship. And that's God. And so he has to worship too, and he does. Guess who he's going to worship? Himself. He's allowed. He's God. He's God. One of my favorite scriptures is in John chapter 3, where John the Baptist says to his disciples, He must increase, but I must decrease. Many of the people were at one time following John the Baptist around and listening to his teachings, listening to his call to repentance and being baptized by John left and right at the river, right? But now people are starting to flock over to Jesus and John's disciples come to John and go, dude, what are we going to do? They're all going to that Jesus guy that you pointed out. We got nobody now. John, your popularity is diminishing down. we we got to do something here. What do you think about all this? John's going, it's great. That's what's supposed to happen. John's not worried. He was the one pointing, to pe pointing people to Jesus in the first place. Why? Because John gets it. He got it. He knew who the story is all about. And he knows 
what, he knew what his place in the story was. John the Baptist knew why he was created. He knew why he is alive, to tell people about Jesus. And then once Jesus comes onto the scene, John knows it's time for his name to decrease and for the name of Jesus to increase. That his existence is now to glorify God with all he does. And that's the point of our existence. Before Christ entered our own lives, we were, for the most part, focused on ourselves. What can I get out of this life? What can we do to make our lives the best life possible? But now, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, Christ has entered in. It's time. It's time for our names to decrease and for the name of Jesus to increase. Doesn't mean we don't have a part to play in his story. Doesn't mean we just go home and lay down on the couch for the rest of our lives and do nothing. But it means we realize that this story is not about us. That our lives are not to be lived to point people to us. Look at us. Look at our accomplishments. Look at how the great things that we've done. Some of you have. But hopefully, as people see that in you, as people tell you how wonderful that is, what you've done, you're quickly saying, no, 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 no. It's him. Because when people see us, they need to see the Jesus in us. When people remember us, they shouldn't remember us. They should remember the Jesus in us. They should remember him. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the goal of our lives. Just think about that photographer in the scene. What about in the middle of that scene where he's taking pictures of Rudy? What if, what if all of a sudden he turned around, faced the camera, and started yelling, Look at me! Look at me! And maybe he started taking selfies of himself, right? We'd be like, dude, get off the screen. You're not the main character. Maybe I just ruined selfies for everyone. But maybe instead of posting so many selfies of ourselves, we should be posting pictures that display the brilliance and glory of God. I'm not much of a social media person, but hashtag he must increase. Told Aaron he's got to start that. Put it on the website, right? Are we bringing glory to God in all we do? Are our lives pointing people to him? Or are we just getting people to try to see us? Jesus said, when you lose your life, that's where you'll find it. When you give up your life, that's where you'll actually find it. You'll find it in him, in Jesus. And you'll realize that your life is not about making much of you, but making much of him. One of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned in my life was at a job interview many, many years ago, 20, 25 years ago. I was interviewing for a college pastor job at a church. And the question came during the point of the interview, where do you see yourself in 10 years, right? And I knew I wanted to be a college pastor, right? So I wanted to get that college pastor answer. I was like, oh, I wanna plant a church near a college campus and I wanna have this amazing outreach to that campus and I wanna see hundreds and hundreds of students come into that church and we're just preaching the gospel to them, et cetera, et cetera. That's a great answer. Nothing wrong with that answer. I didn't get the job, all right? And I look back on that now and I can see how that answer was, yeah, it's a bit about me. What I wanted, what I wanted to see happen. 
And I think if that, if that question was given to me again, if I ever do an interview again, and that question came, what would you see for your life in 10 years? Now that I've grown in my relationship with God, I think my answer would be, whatever God wants from me and wherever He wants me to be because the story here is about Him. My life is His life. And I'm here to just glorify Him. We're here to make Jesus bigger and bigger. You know, you open up your scriptures, realize, even with so many wonderful stories, that this book is not about Adam. It's not about Abram. It's not about Noah, Joseph, David, Paul, anyone else that we read about. And it's definitely not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the main character that's carried off the field in victory. We're a photographer, an unknown photographer, taking pictures of the greatness of who he is. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you have this wonderful time here. I love how you guys do this as a church. You have a time called Selah. And it's just a time of just uh, thinking upon the Lord, perhaps praying to him. And I want to encourage you today with this message to just seek the Lord. And if he shows you a place in your life that you haven't handed over to him, I pray that you would this morning, knowing that he's in full control and knowing his plan is in effect at all times. And it's perfect. You may not think it's perfect, but it is because our God is perfect. So maybe, maybe you're dealing with a hard decision that you're having to make in your life right now. But you're going about doing that on your own. I would encourage you to pray and hand that over to God. Maybe you're going through a time right now where you've had a friendship in your life and that friendship's gone sour and you're trying to fix it, but you're trying to fix it under your own power and the way you think it should be done. I encourage you to hand that to the Lord because he has an amazing, amazing way to just take us by the hand and lead us through things. As hard as some of those things might be, He needs to be the one leading our lives because it is His plan. It is His script that He's writing for us. Our purpose is to just to be led by Him. Our purpose is to say, yes, Lord. Take Him by the hand. Let Him lead us through. Amen. So let's just go into this time of Selah. And I encourage you just take the time to one, remember the Lord, pray to the Lord, hand over whatever it is of your life that you haven't relinquished control. It's that kind of hard thing. I don't feel like I've relinquished control, but God's ultimately in control. He is. But I pray that we would just give it all to him.